And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined, as usual, by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. So we have another pile of new stories for you this week, uh, mostly e-bike stuff, but we've got some other interesting doozies in there as well. There have been some new e-bike launches. We heard some interesting news about a new Rad from Rad Power Bikes. Um, we've also heard about some new electric hydrofoil boards, uh, Harley Davidson's electric news, Juiced Bike has a new take on an old ride. So lots of interesting stuff to cover this week. Where are we going to start though, Seth? All right. Exclusive Ride One Up Rev One launched as an affordable moped style e-bike missing in the market. This was a fun one. It was cool to break the news on this because Rev, the, the Rev One is basically, you know, if you look at it, it looks like a super, <clears throat> super 73. Um, it's that body style. It's, you know, a moped mini bike style bike, but it comes from a company that has never done this type of bike before. Ride One Up has always been a sort of commuter style bike company. So they've expanded a little bit. They did the Cafe Cruiser that brought them a little closer to uh, cruiser bikes. But this is like, you know, a real departure from their um, usual suspect type of commuter bikes. But for their first uh, moped style e-bike, I'm really impressed with what I see here. They've got both a hardtail and a full suspension version. The full suspension one looks like the one that I would definitely want to ride, but they're both surprisingly affordable. Even at the top end, the full suspension version, it's, I believe, $2,300. And then if you get the um, uh, just front suspension model, it is, I want to say, $1,800, maybe $1,900. So much, much more affordable than an actual Super 73 but still pretty impressive specs. I mean, it features a 750 watt motor that puts out 1500 watts of peak power. So it's close to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think Super 73 is like 2000 watts peak on their R series. So it's, it's not quite all the way to Super 73, but it is certainly pretty darn close for most people. A fairly large battery at 48 volts, 15 amp hours, though they have an option for a second battery. So you could actually get uh, 48 volt, 30 amp hours on this thing if you wanted for about one and a half kilowatt hours. Um, and, you know, the usual suspects, we've got hydraulic brakes. We've got that big uh, moped style headlight. We've got a long bench seat. Um, there's going to be this cool storage, uh, like sort of case that goes in that center negative part of the frame that uh, I don't think they have available yet, but it's basically going to be this sort of mesh sided case that goes in there so you can actually make use of all that extra space um, and all in all i think just a, a really cool design here obviously you know you got to pay homage to super 73 because they're the brand that really made these types of e-bikes popular but considering that an r series or especially the rx that's the full suspension version is about 30 you want to say 3500 dollars now from super 73 to get something that is nearly as capable in you know twenty three twenty four hundred dollars is uh, is a pretty darn good deal. Now we haven't tested this one yet. Uh, we'll we'll hopefully be getting a uh, tester model in the next month or so. So I uh, got to withhold judgment a little bit for now. But just you know, looking at the specs, looking at the design on paper, I'm super excited about it. Uh, there's one other interesting thing they did here is that you know, we talk a lot about 28 mile per hour e-bikes and especially 28 plus mile an hour e-bikes that expand past class three uh, levels. This e-bike, the Rev1, it ships as a 20 mile an hour e-bike, 
but it's not uh, something that you can just unlock yourself by going into the display to get it to 28 miles an hour or higher. You actually have to contact the company and they give you like a, I don't know if it's a password or some sort of, you know, they both have to turn their keys with you at the same time. So it prevents, you know, kids from unlocking it or if there's maybe someone they think is not going to be responsible. Basically, it's you got to get the company's permission sort of to unlock it, which for some people might be a turn off, but I see it as probably a, a liability thing and a way for them to control who takes this past typical street legal levels. That's interesting because that does kind of throw the responsibility a little bit in their court. Like if some kid is like, oh, oh, you know, I would like to open my dad's bike up or whatever. <laughs> and then they get, they, I don't know. Uh, but back to the bike, I think it's really uh, a really good looking bike. Um, you know, with the with the high battery pack like Super 73 does, um, <clears throat> I kind of wonder if they should have put both batteries down low. But, you know, that's a minor quibble and I'm sure it, it rides well. Um, you know, ride one up. We're kind of impressed by uh, a lot of the bikes they've done that, that they've done high quality bikes at really low prices. And this looks, you know, like, like another one in that uh, boat. Um, you know, it kind of like if you, you know, you compared it to Super 73. Um, my expertise is a little bit more with juice bikes. Um, so this is kind of like between a, a regular and a hyper uh, drivetrain from them, hyper scorpion or hyper uh, scrambler. Scramble. So, um, what did you say? 1500 watts. Those, like the regular uh, scrambler and uh, scorpion X, have, I think, like a 1300. Um, base uh peak output and then the the hypers are you know up around 18 or 19 and i think the new one um they're they're saying two kilowatts so kind of in between uh the regular and the hypers if, if you're comparing to juice i do love the the two battery thing um the only other bike i've seen that on kind of in this form factor is the uh hyper scrambler too um but i think this is coming in a lot lower than juice bikes as well. I think the hyper scrambler two doesn't start with both batteries, uh, below. I think it's like just below 3000, depending on if they're having a special or not or anything. Yeah. This price is incredibly competitive. Yeah. I wonder if it'll kind of bring everybody down a little bit, uh, price wise. Yeah. The, the one thing that I would say that the, uh, hyper scrambler has, here is um, a, a much bigger battery. So that one is 52 volt, 19.2 amp hour, I think on the right. um, hyper scramble, though it actually has two of them, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's uh, what, two, like 2100 watts, a uh, watt hour, sorry, of battery. So the hyper that's more than has... the Corvette, new Corvette, the electrified <laughs> Corvette for those that are scoring at home. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the highest capacity batteries or double batteries on an e-bike that i can think of at least a retail e-bike the hyper scrambler too so it certainly has the rev one here beat on capacity but in terms of bang for your buck this is a really tempting option here yeah for sure yeah All i'll be right. excited to uh review this one so we'll be back hopefully in another month or so with some some hands-on testing here yeah all right moving forward my brother is not very fast right now Moving backward, moving forward. Do I hear? I'm sure we've got more stories for you guys. They're, they're somewhere in here. Sorry, that's it for today. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Another episode of the Ride One Up uh, show. I think uh, 
have to do a little bit of browsing right now. Oh, good. All right. And then um, major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Major electric bike maker. uh, You'll find out soon. Came close to financial collapse at the end of 2022. Yeah, so this one was Van Moof. And I had no idea that they had gotten into such dire straits financially. So they released their most recent financial report after they just got a new infusion of cash. So for now, they're kind of back on fairly steady ground. But near the end of 2022, just you know, a little over a month ago, they were in dire straits. They said that you know, if they didn't find additional funding, they weren't sure they were going to be able to go on and they might have had to file for bankruptcy. They went out looking for funding and they were able to get um, another round of funding from their initial investors. Uh, they have a couple institutional investor groups. And so they weren't able to find additional funding elsewhere, but their their current investors put more down. And that's uh, it appears is going to buy them some time here. They have had to go through a few rounds of layoffs. At one point, they had as many as I think 900 employees, which it blows my mind how an e-bike company could have that many people working for them. I mean, I know they've got those bike hunters. I don't know how many people they have out on the street looking for bikes, but um, you know, they've, they've got, got a lot a, of they've got a lot yeah. of technology they they work with. Um, you know, with the the you know electronic shifting gears, they're more than a you know kind of a piecemeal. Like we cover a lot of bike companies, but I feel like they have a lot more technology. And a lot more um, maybe at R and D. So it sounds like that might have not have been a good thing to have during a, a slowdown. The economy. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there that's that's an excellent point. You know, they have a lot of proprietary components in their bikes that you won't find elsewhere. And not only does that you know take a significant funding to develop, as well as you know a large team, but you've got to service that stuff, right? And if you're making up something new there's a good chance that you're going to have a higher failure rate than if you're just using parts that have been, you know, they've been pumping out by the millions for years and years. So certainly that's going to add to their um, uh, burn rate as well, just going through those parts, both the development and the servicing. So, I mean, I can't imagine how much money they're, they're spending each month with such a large team and probably with some serious warranty uh, work as well. I don't know what the failure rate on some of that stuff is, but, uh, if they're in that that much of a financial issue, having sold, I think they were doing like tens of thousands of of bikes a year. I mean, not you know rad rad power bikes level, but for a European e bike company, they were doing some serious volume. Yeah, and and like I don't know about you, but uh, what when I heard about this, I was like, oh crap! Uh, I hope they don't cancel that like mopedy thing that they're going to do. It's called the Van Move Five or V concept. Uh, do we know anything if that's going to be uh, on the chopping block or? There's no word yet, but I can't imagine that they're putting a lot of effort into it. If right now they're basically like, you know, bailing out the boat kind of thing, uh, right. which is a bummer because it looks so awesome. That's their, um, depending who you ask, either 50 or 60 kilometer an hour uh, e-bike concept, which puts it at, I think, 31 or 37 miles an hour. So uh, outside of conventional electric bike classifications right now but the whole goal when they unveiled this a little over a year ago was that they were trying to push forward e-bike regulations and potentially propose this new class of like hyper e-bikes that go faster and have more power and so this is like just an awesome design you know full suspension 
but sleek and elegant like you would expect a Van Moof to be. And just like you, I really hope this thing makes it to the light of day because if it just stays as like concept artwork, that's going to be such a shame. Yeah, that thing is super cool. I uh, It's like one of the ones I'm kind of like looking forward to seeing uh, come to fruition. So hopefully that's still out there, still being worked on. Maybe next time we get a chance to talk to them, we can ask them about it. All right. Uh, you mentioned Rad Power Bikes before. Uh, they had a kind of a big co- corporate announcement. The new Rad uh, is here. Uh, the old CEO is out or, you know, moved up the chain a little bit. And they say they made some mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we just got this email along with presumably hundreds of thousands of other Rad riders. Uh, they sent out an email from the new CEO, Phil uh Molyneux, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but um, he took over a few months ago from Mike Radenbaugh, who is the founder and former CEO. Now Mike is the, I believe, president and still uh, on the board and has a new title, something like chief, something that has to do with direction and product or something. But he's still there, but he's not CEO anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil comes from Dyson and Sony. And so he's got, you know, significant corporate chops and he sent out this email that addressed some of the issues that have been going on uh, at RAD. They've had to, to overcome a few hurdles. There've been some legal issues. There's uh, an ongoing lawsuit about an unfortunate case of um, an underage rider. I think a girl was like 14 that um, unfortunately was killed in a bicycle accident. Um, there's ongoing litigation from that. There was a battery fire that uh, is another ongoing lawsuit. Um, and so they didn't touch on those by name in this email, but they basically said, you know, they're a new company in terms of, you know, tech companies. Um, obviously, they're not a dinosaur in the e-bike industry, but they're they're one of the original companies there. And basically, they said that they're still working on on working out some of these um, issues that they want to improve. Some of those areas are going to be focusing on safety, on reliability, um, probably again, a nod to some of those uh, lawsuits that are related to um, functionality of the bikes. And they also talked about improving customer service, which to me, that was an interesting one because I hadn't really heard of many complaints. I mean, Rad has the largest customer service team of any e-bike company in North America and per- perhaps in the world, you know, maybe outside of uh, China. And so I don't know about you, but I, I hadn't really heard a lot of issues, but I, I guess, you know, they're working on uh, improving their response time. They've also opened up a new chat feature so that people can uh, basically get immediate support. You don't even have to open a, a support ticket by email. You can just chat with support. So they're, they're really trying to make strides there as well, uh, which is important when you've got such a massive ridership. I think the last number I saw was something like 500,000 or 600,000 rad bikes have been sold. So, you know, when you've got that many out there, obviously not all of them are still on the road, but certainly hundreds of thousands of them are. And so that's a lot of people that could be uh, contacting support, needing help with, you know, any number of things. So I'm I'm sure they're, they're suffering under just the volume of customers that they have to support with their uh, CS team. Yeah. And, you know, anecdotally, most of the things I had heard about rad support were like really good. Um, you know, they were like surprised that, you know, they could get through very quickly that, you know, whatever part was, you know, damaged on shipping or whatever got sent out and they, you know, credited, um, 
you know, a bike person to put it together. Or um, that's one of my uh, neighbors that had, had that. And then, um, you know, just like on forums, I've seen people say, hey, you know, I can actually get a hold of somebody at Rad. That's, I guess the bar is a little bit low, but um, <laughs> so I, I was surprised that, uh, you know, that was a point of contention. You know, Rad did get rid of their um, their mobile service, which I thought when that happened, I was like, that seems like kind of a cool differentiator. I wonder why, I wonder why that's happening. I wonder if that was part of the uh, problem or part, part of the, you know, a piece a piece of this whole situation um and we you know we've talked to uh mike uh radenbach who's also like the founder the but he's also the namesake like it's named rad bike mike rad and I, um so i don't uh i think you know him at the company i think he's still going to command a presence but he's not uh you know i i kind of feel like you know as a founder maybe you don't have like ceo type skills or coo type skills so you hire somebody. Um, maybe I should do that. Um, so it's it's uh, you know I don't think it's a departure for Rad or uh, Mike. I think he's probably just more focused on product development instead of you know the stuff that he maybe isn't fantastic at. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, every time you've talked to him, you can just tell how focused he is on both the bikes and the riders. So if anything, I mean, he might enjoy being able to spend less time dealing with the actual running of the business and more time working on bikes and, you know, R&D and, and developing the product, which sounds like from where he got his start, which was tinkering with bikes in his garage, sounds like what he really wants to be doing. Yep. All right. Let's move on. Uh, electric bike company adds torque sensor upgrades to its U.S. built cruiser bikes. This one was really exciting for me because I'm a huge torque sensor fan. Just a little background if you're not familiar. There's basically two ways that pedal assist works on an e-bike. The simpler and cheaper method is a cadence sensor. So when you start pedaling, it measures how fast you're pedaling. And then once it gets that speed, it kicks on the motor but it's not the most um, sensitive or intuitive way to do it. A much more, um, I guess, refined method is to use a torque sensor that actually measures how hard you're pedaling instead of how fast you're pedaling. And when you base the motor power on how hard you're pedaling, it's much more um, representative of, of an actual pedal input. So instead of just clicking you into certain speeds, the harder you pedal, the harder the motor works, and it all just feels very natural and intuitive. So very exciting to see that Electric Bike Company has brought uh, a torque sensor optional upgrade to their bikes. It's also interesting that it's optional because most companies, either a bike has a torque sensor or it doesn't. You don't get to choose. And so for a $99 upgrade, uh, now on two of Electric Bike Company's models, you can add the torque sensor. And in the next few months, all of the models will be torque sensor upgradable, uh, the CEO tells us. So a really cool feature that that no other bike companies have <clears throat> excuse me in terms of that optional torque sensor and the way that they're able to do that is because famously electric bike company actually builds their e-bikes in the u.s they've got multiple uh facilities in newport beach california and they start with bare uh like unpainted frames you can just see like thousands of these hanging on the wall and they build up bikes to customers orders 
right there in the facility. So, you know, you just go on their site and you can just pick everything, you know, your colors, your materials, even like seat rim colors, uh, handlebars, everything. And they just literally build it all up and they can even paint it, you know, any custom color or spectrum you want. So that's the way that they're able to actually offer these as optional upgrades because these aren't coming in just in a container full of completed bikes that get shipped out from a fulfillment center. Um, just one of the many things that sort of differentiates this company from the other sort of direct-to-consumer e-bike companies. So to me, this is really cool. And the fact that, you know, it's not that expensive. It's only a hundred bucks to be able to get a much more effective, much nicer feeling pedal assist sensation. So I, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. And I like the designs uh, too. Like, uh, you know, there's a ton of just, you know, straight bikes out there. This one's got you know, a little bit of old timey, uh, surf kind of styling, I guess that's part of their vibe there in, uh, Southern California. So, um, it's not just, you know, any e-bike, these, these are kind of cool looking and, you know, you, you kind of feel at home on the beach with these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean that one at the top with the wooden, uh, fenders and, uh, chain guard, like, that thing is just amazing. Those wooden pieces, by the way, are made in the U.S. I want to say they're made in Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, from a craftsman there. Wow. Um, but they use as many U.S.-based parts as they can. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, moving on. Can um, as much as they can, they source from the U.S. Sorry about that. I think our audio is a little bit catching up right now. Uh, Juice Bikes launches okay. special edition 35 mile per hour Hyper Scrambler 2 e-bike. So this is, we were talking about the Hyper Scrambler 2 earlier. This is one of the most high performance retail e-bikes you can get that's still arguably within the uh, class three legal, you know, street legal e-bike uh, classification. The Hyper Scrambler 2, I mean, it's got, uh, like I said, 1800 watts of peak power two batteries, full suspension, um, you know, full light package with turn signals. Basically, this is like if you want an electric motorcycle that's street legal as a bike, this is what you get. Um, there is some debate there, of course, about, you know, what differentiates this from light electric motorcycles at a certain point, especially when you consider that um, it ships with the ability to open it up to higher than 28 miles per hour, even on throttle. They have a race mode that they say is for, you know, off-road only, but you know, it's honor system that you're not taking that onto the streets. So, and it's really, uh, once you try, once you try it, it's really hard not to just be in that mode all the time because it, it, you know, it's just a really nice, like you've got a very powerful motor and you've got a nice, uh, heavy bike that's built really well. So it's like, it feels very safe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's at that point, it's like you sort of use your wrist as the limiter, you know, so you decide when you want to ride like a 20 mile an hour bike, but you leave it open. So you have the opportunity to go 30, 32, 33 miles an hour when you want to. So it's, it, it's definitely, you know, a, um, a tempting prospect when you have the ability to open it up like that. But this is, in fact, more than just a hyper scrambler too. This is the founder's edition which is also interesting because normally those come out first, you know, for most vehicles, you get the founder's edition as like the first ones off the line, but these are coming out a couple of years after the bike. And basically the um, founder of Juiced, Tora Harris 
has redesigned a bit the uh, hyper scrambler to choosing the parts that he wanted to sort of complete this package. <laughs> so it's got this new little windscreen. It's got new uh, number plates. There's a different colorway, uh, both the paint and the seat color. Um, there's a upgraded, I want to say it's the horn slash Bluetooth speaker. Um, e, so we, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, controversial uh, product there. Um, you know, Bluetooth speaker, uh, not going to be making a lot of friends with uh, that. I know people who ride bikes uh, with their Bluetooth speaker, kind of, kind of uh, faux pas, in my opinion. But yeah, it's um, the only time that I can see it being sort of okay is if you're using it as a way to let pedestrians know you're coming up. Like, especially if you ride through like a boardwalk area and you're just surrounded by people. But then even you know keeping the music down and just using it as sort of a pedestrian noisemaker is like the only way I can see it as being sort of okay. If you're just like blasting awful music, which I guess is subjective. <laughs> right. Well, <clears throat> that, that kind of gives people license, I guess, to, to use those like, Oh, I'm just letting people know I'm here. I guess it's, it's better than a Harley just making horrible noises. But I think those are very controversial and I feel like, uh, those get used in, in improper ways too much. I mean, you know, I, I'm out uh, snowboarding today. There was a guy going down the hill on a snowboard with with a Bluetooth speaker. I'm like, dude, I don't know, just get a, get get a headphone or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, no, I, I think no, I know exactly what you mean. And also, like when I'm out on the uh, like in the Gulf in Florida, like when you're away from you know people, especially when you're in nature, and all of a sudden you hear someone with like loud music, it just takes you out of the moment. Right. So uh, yeah. at least here you're kind of like presumably in the city. So noises are part of it. But I, I know what you mean. Like these things can be abused. So yeah, use that. I would one, say, you know, use with caution and be aware of your surroundings. And uh, so, you know, we digressed a lot, but, um, you know, I think this is a pretty sweet looking bike. They're making how many? They're making 150 of them. So uh, I don't even know if they still, they might've already sold out by now. You'll have to check and see if they're still available because they went on sale. I want to say the 19th. So uh, like a week and a half ago. So they're only making 150 and that's it. So if you want what I think could probably one day be a collector's item, this probably would be it in terms of the, the e-bike space. You know, that's another thing that I sometimes wonder if, you know, 30, 40 years from now, we're going to look back at some of these first e-bike models and will they become like, you know, classic cars that we have today. And the fact that there are just so many of them and there's probably such poor record keeping, I can't imagine, you know, how well you could know like what year, you know, it was just like a, a first generation electric XP kind of thing. Like who knows, yeah. but with these, there's only 150 of them and they have the number written on the side. So it's obvious. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And it's actually not too much. I, I think it's, about the same price as a regular one it's a little bit more expensive but um like not not a bad uh collector's item to get i think yeah if you have hyper scrambler 2 money then you probably have founders edition hyper scrambler 2 money exactly that's cool all right uh moving on oops uh harley davidson ceo says the brand will be all electric in the future this was a bit surprising because uh, Harley Davidson, for those that are already aware, did launch an electric motorcycle fairly early. By uh, 2015, they were already working on it, and they actually launched it in 
2000, late 2018, early 2019. But then they spun all of their electric motorcycle stuff off into a new sub-brand called Livewire. And so now, technically, Harley doesn't actually make any electric motorcycles anymore. Livewire, which is a new brand, does all the electric motorcycle stuff. But in an interview, uh, the CEO, Jochen Zeitz, said that uh, he does believe that one day Harley's going to be all electric. It's just a matter of time. You know, he sees the writing on the wall, but that this isn't something that's going to happen in the next few years. Like this is going to take a while, but it sort of begs the question, like what does that mean for the future of Harley and Livewire, right? Because if Harley one day is going to be all electric, does that mean that they sort of welcome Livewire back into the brand after kicking them out into their own thing? Does it mean that Livewire basically consumes Harley and it just continues in Harley's legacy or, you know, I can't imagine them giving up a brand name like Harley Davidson, right? But what does that mean for their relationship with Livewire? Yep, that's that's the question. And and when Harley did spin out Livewire, we were like, well, why would you do that? Like, this is the future of your company. Why would you make it in a different brand? And, you know, that, that answer didn't really come. I guess, you know, they also have the serial brand for their um, e-bikes. So maybe they're just you know, kind of going loosey goosey with brands right now. It just, you know, it just seems like, well, if that is indeed the future, why, why spread yourself so thin in in brands? It doesn't really make sense. Uh, Yeah. The, the only thing I can make of it because, you know, I mean, same for me when it happened, I was a little bit disappointed because I felt like Harley had done such a good job of, of making themselves electric. The only thing that I can, think of is that while they recognized that it was the future, it was too far in the future and it was too risky for them to be all, you know, green and electric that soon while they still had old folks that were alive with, you know, wallets ready to spend money. So perhaps yeah, they're just that's, waiting for that generation to die off. That that also seems like the most uh likely uh situation. And you know, that's obviously a little sad, but also like you know the people who ride the old Harleys are not the green greenest people uh, or the most forward-thinking people out there. So that's sadly probably the case, um, but also it seems like maybe they should have made a little bit more effort or, you know, I guess maybe they they just, you know, the easiest thing to survive the next couple of years is to do that. Yeah, well, the next 12 to 18 months for Harley and Livewire is going to be fascinating i think um you know livewire has a new model coming probably coming out the middle of this year the uh del mar uh, harley is also doing better actually after a couple tough years so um you know both of the companies are actually in a good position right now and so it'll be interesting to see what happens if if livewire can make it because you know while they have this new bike coming out they're still in a precarious position that the uh, their original uh, live wire one bike is probably not profitable. You know, it's being sold mm-hmm. at either a loss or a cost. And so this new bike is really going to define the future of live wire. And what about the serial bikes? So serial one, I'm not really sure what their financial situation is. They're, they're obviously private. Um, so, you know, we don't have insight the way we do That's for right. both live wire. Um, but you know, I, I have to wonder because those are expensive bikes and, from what I can tell, it's not a super high volume. So that one, 
I mean, the, the next year could be a bit rough for some e-bike companies. Like, you know, we saw with Van Moof, there are other companies that are struggling. And so we'll have to see what happens with Serial One. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on. Oops. Uh, Low-cost, tiny electric cars like these could be the next big thing. Yeah, you might not expect to hear about electric cars on the Wheelie podcast, but that's because these aren't really cars. These are what are known as low-speed vehicles, often uh, referred to as NEVs or neighborhood electric vehicles. This is like if you're a cyclist and you have to see cars around you, these are the kind of cars you want to see because they they top out at 25 miles an hour. And you know some people call them glorified golf carts. As an LSV fan, I find that kind of offensive because they're so much better than a golf cart. But I mean, that's basically sort of the the feeling that you get with these is that these aren't big SUVs that are going to run someone down. These are 25 mile an hour, like pod vehicles, you could almost call them. And so there are a number of really interesting models that are coming to uh, the US and to Europe. Europe's already got some cool ones, but the US is getting some new models. Uh, what we're looking at here, if you're following us uh, in the YouTube video, is the Eli. This is a model that's coming both to the U.S. and Europe, and it's a two-seater uh, low-speed vehicle, so 25 miles an hour. And it inside, it really feels like a car. I mean, it does not at all feel like a golf cart or a buggy. You've got you know your reverse camera, your full doors. Uh, they're glass all the way up and down, which the founder who went on a test ride with me explained that that's so that it actually feels larger when you get inside of it. He told me that there are people who um, you know, have like a, a mini or a smart car and they get inside. They're like, wow, this feels bigger than my mini. And he's like, it's definitely not like it's smaller than, than a mini. But because the glass doors go all the way down, it just feels a lot more spacious. So between them, there's squad mobility, there's wink motors, there's um, the gem from Wave, which is no longer uh, Polaris anymore. Um, Silence has a, a concept uh, low speed vehicle. Uh, there are a few others. Uh, Aero in Texas actually has one. So a lot of really interesting 25 mile an hour neighborhood electric vehicles coming both in the US and Europe. And to me, that's really exciting as someone who's kind of like not super big on car culture, but understands that some people need to be inside of enclosed box. This is, I think, the way to do it. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you don't want to forget your, uh, your uh, Chinese uh, pickup truck. That's true. That's true. Not street legal, unfortunately, but, um, you know, it's still in this class of sort of neighborhood electric vehicles and that it's 25 mile an hour. Could you get your, that thing to be street legal? Is there a path? Um, in Florida, it'd be tough. The, the biggest problem is the, uh, windshield, you know, you can install mm-hmm. DOT seatbelts. You can do a lot of the stuff, but you need, um, DOT, uh, windshield glass. And so you'd have to like have a mold made and have it produced in a, a dot factory so that's the the biggest hurdle interesting uh well maybe someday uh maybe they'll make another classification that you know kind of makes it a little bit easier also uh when did gem get sold from polaris i, I remember hearing that but i can't it's not fresh in my mind yeah, they didn't make a big deal out of it. It was a little over a year ago. Um, so they spun it off into a new company called Wave along with um, two others, the Taylor Dunn and there's one other company that's in Wave. They make like those electric tractors that pull planes at like an airport. So oh, okay. um, sort of all of their utility style electric vehicles, they spun off um, into into that company. So um, 
you know, it's still the gym, like the vehicle's still the same, uh, but it's new owners, new sort of direction. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if we talked to them ever, but it would be nice if we could kind of relay to them like, hey, yeah, get your price down to more reasonable levels and you'll sell 10 times as many because they, they charge like a car. Like you can buy a Chevy Bolt for the price of uh, some of the gems and, you know, they just sit inside some, you know, at train stations or malls or, uh, you know, on campuses and stuff. And I feel like they really could get the price down a little bit and yeah, sell absolutely. so many more. Yeah, I um, so I actually referred to the uh, gem as being expensive in one of my posts over the last few months, and a representative for Wave reached out and was like, "Hey, you know, like it's not really that expensive if you compare it to you know fifty thousand dollar electric cars." It's like, well, yeah, but like apples oranges, dude. Like, <laughs> right? Or compared to a twenty five thousand dollar electric car, then it's all of a sudden expensive again. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, great vehicles, but price is not their selling point yeah all right last one of the day and then we'll get to the comments and i see there's some comments already uh please comment if you have anything to say or add or questions awake launches easiest e-foil ever as beginner friendly flying electric surfboard this one is super cool so awakes vinga uh, electric hydrofoil board was already a pretty awesome hydrofoil board, basically surfboard with underwater wing plus uh, jet propulsion equals flying electric surfboard. <laughs> so uh, I tested it out uh, last summer and I actually tested all of Awake's boards. So the surfboards were actually pretty easy. Um, I was able to get up on those right away. But when I tested the original Vinga, that was tricky. Like I never really mastered it. While I was sitting on it, I could get it up on the wing, but I just, I couldn't ride it. I kept crashing every time I got up. And so they just unveiled the Vinga 3, which is the beginner friendly version. And this one, they tell me like, you know, you got to come back and try it because you're going to not be face planting anymore. Uh, apparently it's much easier to learn to ride. It's a lot more stable. It's wider. The contours on the bottom of the board are designed so that when you come back down and you make contact with the water, you kind of like bounce back up better. Uh, it's not as sporty. I mean, one of the reasons that the original Vinga was kind of hard for beginners to learn to ride was that it was designed to be sporty and you could do, you know, cool tricks and stuff with it. But you got to, you know, there's a learning curve there. You can't just be hopping out of the water and flying through the air on your first time. So it's really cool that they've sort of redesigned the board and come out with a second version that's beginner friendly. So for someone like me that is, you know, really interested in electric hydrofoil boards and, you know, enjoys electric surfboards, but is struggling a bit with the hydrofoil part. This is exactly what I need to learn to ride. So I'm super excited to give this another try and have a less painful, more fun experience <laughs> learning to hydrofoil. And where are they based? They're in Stockholm. Okay. That's interesting because you would think that the water there would be a little chillier than, uh, you know, that a lot fewer people would be out on boards, you know, in and around uh, Stockholm. But uh, yeah, I there's was, a lot of there's a lot of boat and hydrofoil innovation in that area. Yeah. When, when I was there in June, I was about to get hypothermia from a couple hours of riding those things. I was without a wetsuit in the beginning. And after like two oh, hours, wow. they put me in a wetsuit because I just got like uncontrollable shakes. And it was June. Like, I, I didn't think it would be that cold. Yeah, I guess uh, a lot of sun, but not a lot, you know, dirt, a lot of hours of sun, but not a lot of uh, heat. Yeah, the, the, the thermal there. energy doesn't make it into the freezing water, I guess. Yeah. 
that, these look awesome. Um, I know I'm going to get myself on one of these one of these days. Um, hopefully, it's a lot like snowboarding. It kind of looks a little bit like snowboarding. Um, you know, I've seen these on kites. I've seen people like didn't Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the Meta Facebook guy, didn't he like do a video where he was on one of these that was just like powered by jumping up and down? I don't remember if it was electric or yeah, like the pump powered, but I, I yeah. remember seeing a video of him like waving an American flag. Maybe it was like a 4th of July video, but I, I yeah, definitely remember it, seeing something like that. Yeah. And it was like a weird meme kind of thing. And he had, yeah, I don't know. All right. Anyway, let's move on to comments. So I'm going to remove the thing and you can almost see us at this point. Um, Carl in San Diego. Let's not assume almost every rad built is still on the road e-bikes should have an expectation of long lifestyle isn't still on the road uh yeah so uh i would imagine that what what, what percentage of rads i mean i guess they've been around for a long time i bet you know it's probably like 90 percent or something are still on the road and there's you know obviously selling a lot more recently I hope uh, I'm a little bit jaded because I worked for a while in an e-bike shop. And like when you see the way people beat up bikes, you know, like, oh, yeah. uh, uh, well, you know, we think of people who treat them well because we treat our bikes well. But you see a lot right. of people rough on these things. Yeah. And, the, uh, you know, but, you know, maybe at the shop, you only see the, the ones that are beat up because the ones that are doing well are at home. So maybe you're the jaded one. No. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we have some comments on torque sensing. So Russell Zahner is internal torque sensing for life, but Andreas Krista says torque sensor more like dork sensor. So uh, <laughs> very controversial subject matter there. Uh, he continues, am I right, fellow Fern boys, especially Micah, biggest, uh-oh, got, got a bad... <laughs> Bad they they're getting there. trolled there. Yeah. yeah, you're getting trolled. All right, we're moving on. I've got spinal cord damage uh, and need a pedal assist on one side. Uh, torque sensors, the only thing that does it right because it knows and compensates real time with no lag. So that's a great, great uh, aspect there. Yeah, perfect use case. All right. Uh, so we got a lot of commentary. I'm actually working on a reluctance. Reluctance? Based dyno, so you can actually get a good uh, generation without the magnetic drag on your work output. All right, we're, we're getting into the, the weeds here. Um, let me move on. Wow. Serious All conversation. Right. Uh, so regarding Harley, it's a stock market thing. Three exclamation points. They are hedging their bets, but also protecting core investors and wishes from older stockholders. So that's in regard to Harley spinning out and then eventually pulling back in uh, its electric unit. So yeah, I think that's kind of what that was kind of our take too as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, dude, Intel and their processor tiering right. And maybe he's on the wrong podcast. Uh, talk about expecting a company to be able to handle technology transitions and then the least successful at it. All right, so Harley definitely hit some people. Harley Davidson is like GM investing nine hundred million in a new V eight engine for its large pickups and SUVs. They must know the future is electric, but they can't alienate their old wealthy customer base. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that's 
For, for a second, right, I so thought he was, that Harley was investing in a new V8, and then I remembered the GM was... I'm so out of the car space right now, I didn't realize that was GM for a second. Yeah, and all of a sudden, everybody's talking about cars in here, so Chinese <laughs> auto market, I'm just scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> uh, I see an LSV something. There. Okay, yeah, here we go. Not sure about the state of LSVs across the rest of Europe, but here in the UK, they'd be treated the same as a normal car. Need a license, insurance, registration, etc. Real shame. Yeah, I, I, I still see the need for you know license and insurance though. Like if you're on the road with other drivers, it seems like a prudent thing to require people to know the the rules of the road and to be insured. All right. So uh, the the commenters are sorry that they didn't realize that we were reading these. Uh, so this is an interesting uh, anecdote. Andreas says, so many kids have Red Runners. How are parents dropping 1.5K on these? Um, and I think somebody else said something about how there's Rad Runners all over their neighborhood. And anecdotally, also, uh, we have a, a few Rad Runners and also other e-bikes in our town. Um, we have a Pedago, so there's a, a bunch of Pedagos as well. Yeah, I mean, and then you get into the whole issue of like, at what age should kids be riding e-bikes? Right. Um, and, and Rad will tell you that their bikes are not meant for kids. Uh, I mean, I know like, you know, your kid's, uh, uh, athletic prodigy. So some kids can probably handle these younger than others, but yeah. But know, when there's... he does rack, I'm going to feel like garbage. <laughs> yeah. So there's, that's a whole nother debate, but yeah, they, you do right. see a lot of kids riding these, especially, you know, Rad Runner is very easy for kids to use. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a wise choice. Yeah. But I mean, you can go back to when I was a kid. There was always that like 13 year old who had a 50 cc scooter and you know was the coolest kid in the school because of it it's i feel like it's a very similar kind of situation yeah that's a good point um all right let's see what we got here uh top five e-bikes i've really enjoyed torque sensors such a different riding experience versus a cadence sensor in my opinion it's especially great for new e-bike riders i'm in agreement i guess um my best e-bike riding experiences have been with torque sensors so oh yeah if you're someone who pedals and you haven't tried torque sensor like you'll love it when you finally try it if, if you just ride throttle it won't make a difference but for people who really like you know putting in the effort it makes a huge difference yeah i have a broza based bike that sometimes i'm just like am i like is this thing helping me i can't tell and then you know you look down at the speedometer and you're going 25 uphill and you're like okay yeah it's probably helping yeah <laughs> All right, kids in my car-dominated city are riding rad runners in car lanes with passengers on the back, and it's awesome. Okay, Santa Barbara, <laughs> for anybody wondering. <laughs> uh, and oh, Top 5 e-bikes is also in Santa Barbara. It's so Represent. cool of teenagers using rad runners. Kids, scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it is scary, especially being a parent, but it's also super fun, and it's also super helpful to not have to drive your kids everywhere. There you go. They're um, so, upsides. Yeah. I mean, you know, as our kids are getting old enough to get cars, we're kind of like, it would be nice for him to drive, but he, he also doesn't seem to have a good impulse control. So, be so no motorcycles then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would rather him be in a car for sure, but both of our kids ride uh, bikes and e-bikes all the time. So uh, I don't know. And they snowboard, so they they have speed, like they have, you know, they know what's dangerous. So hopefully that 
translates to you know being careful on the road yeah maybe save the, the motorcycle for after college there you go all right well thank you everyone for tuning in for uh, the latest episode and we will be back in two weeks for the next episode of the wheelie podcast take care everybody